2: Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is brought to you by, well, you. If you want to learn how to support our show, go to collinslaststand.com. Greetings and salutations. Welcome back to Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast. This is episode 92. My name is Colin Moriarty. I'm joined as always by Chris. He's still stuck inside. Ray gun. Chris, how you holding up over there?
4: Uh, pretty OK. I'm starting to see uh, ghosts. <laughs> I've been inside so long. It's really it's really weird. I really thought I uh, I really didn't think I left the house as much as I did before it was Viewed as kind of super fatal to leave the house.
2: Yeah, yeah, I I hear you. You did note because you have a you do another podcast called the uh, Snark Tank that you got an email, I guess, from your landlord saying that someone in your building has coronavirus or something like that. Well, we
4: we know that um, it wasn't a landlord. It was a um, it was like a community kind of it was like a building email board like for all the tenants because the landlords are useless. <laughs> Oh okay. I see. But yeah, basically we had word that somebody in the building had symptoms and they went to the hospital for and We don't know if it's actually the thing, but yeah. like uh just I guess they felt it was necess- like reasonable to give that information out. So that's kind of freaky. Um not surprising though, I guess. This thing is pretty contagious.
2: <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to I just don't I'm trying not even to pay attention anymore very carefully because it just all seems very random in terms of what people are saying, like, oh, the so-called curve is flattening, oh, it's getting exponentially worse and this is happening and that's happening and everything just conflicts and contradicts. So for me, I just I'm just trying to just ride it out. But actually here in Virginia, we're recording this right when um, the governor of Virginia Northam Uh, He said that there's a mandatory stay stay in place ordered in Virginia unless you must leave your house for essential reasons until June 10th.
4: Yeah, man, it's uh, I just assume at this point that probably everybody's going to get it (laughs) because, like, I don't know how you could really keep a lid on this thing. You got to go get food at some point and you got to go outside at some point. We'll see. I don't know. It's kind
2: of freaky, but yeah, it's crazy, man. I mean i I actually s- sat outside in the backyard like all day and night last yesterday from probably two or three in the afternoon until after midnight.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And that was the first time I had really been like outside. I was just on my laptop. I was listening to music and drinking and looking at the stars and whatever the case might be. And I don't know. How, how are you? feel? How are you holding up like emotionally and spiritually and mentally? I mean, you you know, you said you've seen ghosts and stuff like that, but I mean, how, how is it, at least you have like roommates and people to interact with, right?
4: Yeah. But so. that's, its, that's its own stress. Cause then yeah. like, I can't control what they do, you know? But we had, that's um, true. one of our roommates f- actually flew back home to New York cause his parents flew him out. Cause they were like, you should be here. And then he texted me yesterday. He was like, Hey, I booked a, I booked a voice gig. I'm coming back tomorrow. And I'm like, no, <laughs> no, you're not. <laughs> you're definitely not coming back tomorrow. Sorry um
2: yeah yeah that's a tough one
4: like we like that was the agreement it was like if you're gonna go home you're not coming back until this shit's <laughs> this shit's sorted because you're especially if you're com- coming going from LA to New York back to LA those are like two of the top like New
2: York is like ground zero right now yeah that's what they say so
1: so, so. it's inter-
2: it's interesting yeah I'm I don't know I'm not I'm not holding up particularly well inside you know I'm fine I'm like doing my work and I guess getting things done but I don't know I just I'm dealing with all this extraneous pain in my life yeah and this just seems like it's compounding it I feel like I have like a dying neutron star or something inside my chest and it's weird (laughs) it has like nothing to do with the coronavirus itself because I can control if I'm going to go in or out and I work from home and all that but as you do but I don't know. It's just it's it's starting to really wear on me a little bit just uh, mentally and I yeah. guess spiritually. And I don't really know exactly what to do about it. I mean, I had come out here with like around this time we're recording this at the end of March around this time when I was was when I was going to be like, all right, like let's uh, talk to the real estate agent and kind of get going here and get a house. And actually, it's funny because like earlier in Mar- uh, March, I had started like kind of Figuring out who I was going to talk to and the real estate agents and sort that all out. And now I'm just kind of like stuck in, you know, in my mom's house basically until further notice. Everything's just really weird right now. This is definitely like I
4: feel like culturally this is like like a, at least a thousand 9/11s worth of just, you know, societal shifts. And like this is definitely going to change the way everybody acts after this is over. Like, I feel like this is like a, a huge paradigm shift.
2: I think so, too. The economy is in bad shape and it's probably going to get worse. Lots of unemployment. You know, unfortunately, we have such a big well, I mean, it's fortunate that we have such a big listenership. But unfortunately, it's so many of you listen to the show that I'm sure you many of you out there have been affected by this in all sorts of different and novel ways. Yeah. And so we're obviously thinking about you. And it, as I said, I think recently on this show or another, take. Our charge pretty seriously at this time to entertain and inform and at least distract people for a little while, and we uh, want to continue to do that for you, but yeah, just keeping it real, I don't know, I'm having a hard time, and you know I'm really grateful to be with my mom and my stepdad because I haven't lived at home since I was like seventeen or eighteen, and it's it is really nice to be around her, and she's like so Italian motherly and stuff like that it's It's really sweet, but I also worry about her because she's got a heart condition and yeah, one of the yeah. reasons I wanted to come back here was to be around my mom as she gets older she'll be 70 this year and yeah so i'm just uh just a lot of concern a lot of worry a lot of turmoil and it's remember chris we were talking the other day or the other episode about how someone wrote in and said can you, is it weird that like you can't even play video games to get distracted and you can't even settle your mind like i'm in that mode i can't really because of all the shit going on in my life, both public and private, I can't settle my mind down. Yeah. So I feel like I'm, I'm in even more of a Groundhog's Day situation where I just need to push through. I do have a lot of creative energy right now, so I'm trying to get that out. But I don't know. Just wanted to wish everyone out there, you know, the very best. Shit's going down, obviously. It continues to go down. We are wishing everyone well, everyone's family, friends, etc. If you're out there as essential personnel, especially if you're a healthcare worker or Grocery store clerk or truck driver, whatever the case might be. We really yeah. appreciate you and you, we want you to stay safe. The unfortunate reality is, like you said, though, because of the essential nature of needing to eat, for instance. It seems like this thing's just going to stick around forever.
4: Yeah, so. I mean, hopefully they'll get to work on something <laughs> eventually.
2: Will V. wrote into us on Patreon. And remember, you guys can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash stand to submit your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas. To our show, he says, yo, boys, I am a farmer who will not be affected by the Rona question. Do you guys have a giant sense of guilt being in a career that isn't affected nearly as much as everyone else? How do you feel about this, Chris? We live pretty blessed lives in normal circumstances. Yeah, I would assume our lives are pretty blessed in comparison. Now, how do you feel about this? Do you feel any guilt about that?
4: No, uh, largely because I'm still in a pretty, you know, affected area. And it's not like it's, you know, it's, it's not like I couldn't get it. You know, it's still very possible. Uh, we don't really know the intricacies of how this thing moves around or how long it survives on surfaces or whatever the hell. So God God knows. any Anytime I get, anytime I choose to stop cooking the same pasta or mac and cheese or rice and beans, which I've grown really sick of, and go out and get like a, a Postmates like I don't know that could that could that could be it <laughs> who knows yeah it's <laughs> I don't know man I, I don't feel I don't feel guilty necessarily you know it's just yeah you know we're all just as susceptible to this thing as anybody else obviously like there are some of us who are on the front lines of this thing healthcare workers and whatnot but yeah I don't know I don't feel I don't feel guilt
2: Yeah, I don't know if guilt's the right word. I mean, I just feel awareness. Yeah, I guess I should say of that. It's sad. Like, I feel sad. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Yeah, there's there's definitely a sadness and a weirdness to this whole situation. And um, I was going to write a letter to the audience. Uh, I decided not to, but just about how I've and I think I've talked to you, but I've talked to Dagan and my brother and, and Dustin, who's a full time employee of mine, you know, I have no intent. CLS remains capitalized and pretty healthy. I don't know what's going to happen in the coming months as people become more and more economically affected. And I certainly hope people stick around and are able to pay for the services. But assuming that they can't, I think I can still continue to take care of my people. Um, And I didn't want people to worry too much about that in the immediate Mm -hmm. future, because I know so many people. This is like a cascading economic effect for a lot of different things. It's not like businesses want to go under. It's not like businesses don't want to pay their employees. So, so far, you know, CLS is OK, but I I, I am anticipating that that's going to start to decline across the board. I haven't looked at Patreons overall statistics in a while, but I assume across the board it's going to start to decline. But hopefully you guys can continue to support us on patreon.com slash Collins Last Stand if you can afford it. Uh, One dollar a month, two dollars a month, five dollars a month, whatever you can give. Uh, gets you all sorts of different perks and allows us to continue to do this and allows us to continue to pay our people. We pay well. Um, we pay more than fair, I think, well above the industry average. And we take a lot of pride in that. So um, thank you so much for your support. Get early, ad free access to the show. Uh, exclusive episodes of Sacred Symbols Plus, which is our weekly supplemental podcast only for patrons. And by the way, uh, last week's was all about Twin Breaker, which is our new video game that's out now on PS4 and Vita. Uh, this week's, I think we'll jump into the mailbag and the next week we'll do Doom Eternal's spoiler cast. Mm-hmm. And then I think the week after that we'll do twin breakers spoiler cast. So I think that those are the various plans, but the twin breaker episode is interesting. It's an interview with Barry Johnson, who's the developer of the game. And we talk about how we came together, what our future plans are, plans for a sequel, plans for other games, what it's like dealing with Sony, all that kind of stuff. So I think people will really enjoy that. As well. So thank you so much for supporting us on Patreon and thank you for your support of Twin Breaker, The game we don't we actually should get sales numbers for the North America today at some point. But um, I think I think we've sold thousands of copies. I mean, I I think that that's somewhat clear, but maybe I'm wrong. We'll find out. Yeah, we'll see. And uh, what else here before we get into what we're playing? Oh, so last week we talked about if we should switch the recording and publishing days for this show. And I guess not super surprisingly, I got really mixed messaging from the audience. And I guess I should have anticipated that some people being like, don't you dare. And some, some people saying, yeah, you definitely should. That to me indicates that we probably won't be moving the show right now. I'm still open to that idea as we move forward. But I just don't think we're going to make that move right this second. Mm-hmm. I think Chris was on to something last week when you said that, uh, we we're kind of caught with our pants down, as it were, with the PS5 uh, presser or whatever that they did with Mark Cerny by that. We don't typically run into those kinds of que- kinds of issues. And no matter when we record, we're going to be late or miss something. And yeah. also, if you're a patron, you're just getting the show like. Twelve hours or something later after we record it, so it's not late for you. So, yeah. So I think we're just going to hold Pat right now just because I didn't feel like there was an overwhelming sense one way or the other. And yeah, without yeah. that. I just don't know that we should make any moves, but I did want to let you guys know we're continuing to listen. We'll continue to monitor that situation. All right, Chris, let's talk about what we're playing. You're still uh playing Doom Eternal. Talk to me about it.
4: Yeah, I'm going through it on nightmare now. And uh it is hard. This is a hard, hard video game. I've gushed uh pretty incessantly about Doom Eternal over the last uh week or so because I can't I can't get enough of it. I really, really adore it. There are some things that I think Doom 2016 does with a little bit more finesse, namely the story and the narrative and the way levels connect to each other. Uh, because, because the hub world that is introduced in Doom Eternal adds like this level of non-linearity, uh, and it's kind of like, oh, you go through a portal. It's still a linear like game, but you go back to the, the hub world and then you choose a destination on the portal and then you just kind of whisk away to these locations. And it's good for varied environments and varied art design and very, you know, beautiful environments, specifically because 2016 was so red, because you were just in Hell or Mars, which for all intents and purposes look fairly similar. But I think, you know, I think because Doom 2016 didn't teleport you everywhere, you got a sense of flow a little bit better. You got a sense that, oh, this connects to this, this connects to this. But aside from that one very small Thing. I think Doom Eternal is just such a such a phenomenal improvement over something that I really didn't anticipate being outdone to the degree that it is. And I'm uh super
2: satisfied with it. Zach Zachary Perry wrote into us on Patreon, Chris. He says, Hey CNC, I'm a huge fan of CLS and I have been a patron for a few months now. Thank you for all you do. Thank you, Zach. This question is specifically for Chris. Which game do you think was better? uh, Doom 2016 or Doom Eternal? For me, I love them both, but Eternal is better, in my opinion, due to the action being a little more frantic, the music being as good, if not better, in the combat flow, which makes you think a little more than Doom 2016. Thank you for making Tuesdays great again. Yeah, I think uh, I, it's definitely
4: an improvement. I think Doom, Doom Eternal is definitely better, like without a shadow of a doubt. I It's to the point where I don't really think I could play Doom 2016 again. Like oh, it is, it, it is that much of a of a, re- a reinvention of the same kind of combat and the same it, it really delivers on a lot of the momentum and the 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 freedom that Doom 2016 sort of kind of grazed at, sort of gave you hints of. Whenever you would get a speed boost after a glory kill, it's like, oh, this is kind of cool. But like with like these double jumps and these double dashes and this this grappling hook that shoots you every which way. It's just uh such a freeing game that comparatively playing Doom 2016 as good as that game is and I still think it I think it's still a good game. I think it's just it it would be like playing a game where you almost couldn't jump. Like Doom 2016 compared to Eternal feels like you're stapled to the ground and you're not stapled to the ground in 2016 at all. So it's just a testament to how how much they've opened the game up without really compromising what the identity of the the core of that game was and also just like it's just so good it's a thinking it really does make you think a lot the combat's a lot harder it's a lot smarter i saw i saw a quote that i can't take credit for but somebody somebody called it blood and guts with brains
2: and i really uh i really like that description right on i'm looking forward to playing it i still haven't downloaded it between that and uh, Resident Evil 3 comes out mm-hmm. imminently and then Final Fantasy 7 the week after. It's going to be pretty hard to find time for all of these games, but I have to because these are three games I do want to play. And who knows if anything after that of any value is going to be coming out for a while. I'm still, well, we'll talk about that in a little while. I'm still somewhat convinced that we're going to see some delays of uh, the the PlayStation exclusives anyway.
4: Well, it's a really good single player shooter, so you can you can wait for as long as you want. It's probably still going to be as good.
2: <laughs> yeah. That's true for me, Chris. I've still been playing Neo and I actually just downloaded on my Vita Adventures of Mana, which was the the first Seiken Densetsu game that was on Game Boy actually back in the day as Final Fantasy Adventure. We knew it and I had played it back on Vita when it came out in 2016, but I actually got a game breaking bug in it. Oh, shit. There's a there's a place in it. I don't even know if they've patched it, but there's a place where you can get like Trapped without a key, basically in a dungeon and can't get out, and that happened to me. That's such an obvious problem. <laughs> yeah, it sucked. And apparently, what's crazy is that it's in the original game. Oh wow, like, that bug is actually in the original. And they just didn't fix it. I guess not. I mean, so I don't know. So I I, I went and re-downloaded that last night. So I'm going to be playing that moving forward. But I've been playing Neo at night, and uh, I really like it. I've gotten past the. What people say are the two hardest bosses, which was the the boat boss, obviously, and then that like spider Batwoman in the cave who I beat. And then I beat like a lightning dragon boss and then this like the samurai boss. And so I'm moving forward in the game and I'm really enjoying it like it's it is a little frustrating because it is fast and fluid, which I like. I play with the katana or the two swords. And so my guy moves pretty fast. I have pretty light armor on, but I I would love to play it even faster and a little bit more recklessly, but you just can't play the game that way. Mm. And I I really dig it. I'm just really enjoying it and I'm trying to just get through it because I know it's one of those games where you really have to learn it and know it and understand it in order to uh, move, you know, to get through it. But you can't return to the game. Uh, later on, if you want to, having walked away from it for a few weeks, I imagine that I would lose all my skill. So that's another component of me trying to get through it right now, even though I, I would like to be playing Doom or something else. Mm-hmm. But I did talk about it a little bit last week and said that I enjoyed it more than the Dark Souls and Bloodborne or Dark Souls one and Bloodborne. Uh, Dark Souls one, I played just a little bit. Bloodborne, I played extensively and a lot of people took issue with that. Uh, but Chase Williams wrote into us on Patreon and said, hey, Colin, just wanted to respond to your claim last episode that Neo might be better than From Software games in terms of combat. I can imagine some pitchforks came out when you said that, but I am here to defend you. I have the Platinum and Dark Souls 1 and 3, Bloodborne, Sekiro, and Neo. I fully agree that Neo offers the best player package of all the other titles. The robust customization offered between all the weapons, stances, and abilities is remarkable, and a player who spends time mastering their kit will be able, will be able to carve the game up with a precision in a unique manner." Furthermore, the game does an amazing job teaching the player only unlocking skills once the player has proven they can use them via the dojo. This is much better than unlocking skills in a menu and only receiving a a description. Congrats on Twin Breakers release. Thanks, Chase. Yeah, so a lot of people were mad at me for this, making fun of me and telling me that I didn't see enough of the From Software games to make that claim. And I guess that's fair. I mean, I, I don't, I've, I mean, I, I saw Bloodborne pretty deep into the game. I just stopped playing because something else came out. But I played it for probably 50 hours. So I think I can yeah talk pretty authoritatively about that. But yeah, Demon Souls and Dark Souls 1, I only played a little bit of. But the reason that I didn't like them was because of their stiff. And frankly, what I felt was just unsatisfying combat. So of course, this is going to be a subjective thing. But I'm really enjoying my time with Neo. I understand a lot of people will disagree with my contention that it's better but I'm, it's certainly better what I'm looking for because if Dark Souls One or Demon Souls was as good as Neo was for me, then I wouldn't have stopped playing them. So that's kind of the yeah no exactly. that's kind of the uh, the ultimate uh, litmus test. And people are typically looking for things
4: that they're looking for, and if like uh, I I don't think anybody would argue that any game like I don't think anybody would argue that Sekiro is objectively better than Nero or or, or Neo. Or anything like that, you know, I feel like it'd be weird to make that kind of case.
2: Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's as with all game criticism, it's really in the eye of the beholder. Yeah. But um, yeah, for me, it's speaking to me a lot more than those games. I think Bloodborne spoke to me in an interesting way just in terms of its setting. I mean, I liked playing it and I found it really satisfying. Like when you really overcame a hump, it, it did feel really good to do so. But the setting and the and everything that's the one thing that Neo I think lacks so far for me is there's just not much enemy diversity and it's a little drier in that sense in terms of setting and all of that. There's lack of enemy diversity uh, in Neo. I found I find so yeah. Like there's no I, I just I can remember specific so many specific enemies in Bloodborne in right. the de- various places that are just all of these like fucked up, weird, scary enemies. And in Neo, it just seems like there's a lot of. Biped humans and go or like, you know, zombie type creatures and then like the occasional supernatural creature, like a big axe wielding dude or like those fire wheels or whatever, but it doesn't seem anywhere near as diverse in terms of its enemy offerings
4: that's definitely probably where a lot of the contention comes from and i feel like a lot of the uh, favorability towards the souls games comes from i think uh i think any game with character design and enemy design that is unique and have the like when every character has like a unique silhouette or they don't really exhibit things that are stereotypical of like oh here's a generic skeleton enemy or, or in an rpg or whatever i feel like those are the games that tends to tend to stick out to people even if the even if the gameplay mechanics themselves aren't really that stand out just because the the world and design and the active defeating enemies that act so uniquely and look so unique is kind of in and of itself a little bit more satisfying than defeating just another zombie
2: with a game that has better combat mechanics yeah, yeah that's it's exactly right like i i just design is so important it is and and also the way those enemies react and i remember um it's pretty early in bloodborne but you encounter these enemies that are these kind of tall they have like white almost masks on and mm-hmm. they're carrying around like a lantern or something like that and they just kind of lumber around and when they see you they just kind of go at you and they're like horrifying like i i remember being like truly horrified like what the fuck is that <laughs> and like being afraid of dealing with these enemies and there's some sense of that in neo but it's it's definitely not as strong i will say that the design from a design perspective it's not as strong and apparently neo 2 just from people like sophia narwitz and others that i've known that i've talked to that have played it say that neo 2 kind of suffers from a similar lack of enemy diversity which is too bad but um, i guess they're stressing different things like it, it would be cool to take the really fine and multifaceted combat from Neo and put it in Bloodborne, although I think Bloodborne's combat is just leaps and bounds ahead of Dark Souls. So, yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. So, all right, Chris, there's a lot of news to get through Mm -hmm. today. Uh, So let's begin to do that. Number one, will PlayStation five be delayed or won't it? Well, according to a new report from business publication Bloomberg, it appears Sony is apparently not anticipating a disruption to PS5's launch and still intends on releasing the console in the holiday season of 2020. Indeed, the biggest problem Sony is currently facing with manufacture of its hardware is the exact problem it faced before coronavirus, component shortages. Bloomberg notes that its two Chinese factories are coming back online as we speak, though Malaysian and UK factories will remain closed for several more weeks. A spokesperson for Sony, specifically speaking to Bloomberg about PlayStation 5, said the next-gen console is still on track to come out at the end of 2020, News mimicked by other in the no source uh, by another in the no source, rather GameStop. IGN relays word of a financial call from the company in which the company's CEO George Sherman said in part, quote, as for the impact of the supply chain and manufacturing for the new consoles, we will continue to work with the console makers as the launch approaches. But as of now, we have no indication of any impact on the product launch or delivery date, which is expected in time for holiday 2020 End quote. A statement on Sony's website repeats what Bloomberg report reported in terms of Chinese factory openings and component constraints, but says that the company, quote, estimates that there will be no material impact on the PlayStation business for the current fiscal year, end quote. However, game delays may occur. Quote, although no issues have emerged so far, Sony is carefully monitoring the risk of delays in production schedules for game software titles at both its first-party studios and partner studios, primarily in Europe and the U.S., end quote. Most imminently, Sony expects Naughty Dog's The Last of Us Part Two in May, and Sucker Punch's Ghost of Tsushima in June. Let's see, Chris. Paul Sabo wrote in and said, Hey guys, Sony has officially said the PS5 will not be affected by the coronavirus. Do we believe them? Congrats on the game release. I don't know if I'll ever get around to it, but I'm happy for all parties involved. You better get around to it, Paul. Yeah, no choice. What do you think, Chris? Do you think that they're uh I I do you think they're obfuscating a little bit here as far as what they're I, anticipating, because their, their fiscal year is going to end and they do need to keep things kind of moving.
4: Yeah, I think they're trying to placate some of the moneyed interests, I would imagine. Like, I, I don't, because you can't possibly know what the future is going to hold. Like, this whole thing is so unprecedented and, and it doesn't seem to be really slowing down in any major way that it would be hard to imagine that... This is anything more than just sort of placating, you know, the people who expect the machine to be out and, like, oh, no, no, we've got, to, we've got, we're, we're going to move units this year. We're going to move a console this year. It's going to be a big year for us. Don't worry. I, I can't imagine them knowing for certain that they're going to get this machine out.
2: Yeah. I don't know how they can know that at this point with everything that's going on and, I think a key component of this is that China is clearly lying about its case rate and how it's handling the outbreak in its own country. And this isn't a huge surprise. They're a, a communist dictatorship. Communist dictatorships don't tell the truth. They lie um, and they're lying about this, too. So it's unclear what is really happening there. And therefore, it's unclear like what the situation on the ground really is. I think it goes to show you that the factories opening up in China they're already beginning to get back to full capacity the, the factories that they actually own, according to Bloomberg over there. But who knows if that's going to last? And it's telling that Malaysian and British factories are not opening back up. So I don't really know how this is all going to work out. But to Paul's point, I think that they, I, be, I believe that they think that this is true. I think that they have to be like firm, true believers in their ability to get this thing out. But yeah, I don't I don't think the console is coming out this year. I just I don't know. I I just feel like that would be. Especially with what I was just talking about right here in Virginia now we are locked in place until June. I mean, that's nuts. First of all, it's just going to crater the economy more. People are not going to have money to spend on these things. This is has, a, again, a cascading effect on people's ability to buy and might stretch PS4's viability along with Xbox ones. And obviously, Switch is going to continue going uh, into the near future. So. I don't know. I, I, I don't believe that the consoles are coming out this year. And it's not only because of the coronavirus, but also because of what the Bloomberg story notes, according to sources at Sony, which is that they're having problems sourcing components. And this is obviously another, hate to say it again, cascading effect from having the factories down in this in this pandemic circling the globe is that you can't you don't just make a machine out of the ether. You need to be able to buy these parts on the market. Everyone's yeah. competing for these parts, and people will recall, Chris, that we talked before the coronavirus even began uh, to take the globe, to seize the globe, that Sony was already having a hard time competing for these components with Samsung and, and other companies that are actually making smartphones with them. So, I don't know. I mean, you released the console, supply constraint, I think that's a big mistake, and I'm not sure why you would even do that. So... Yeah. Uh, I, I still think 20, 2021 is when the console is going to come out. But I'd love to be wrong, because it would be cool to have it in November or something, but I, I just...
4: Oh, yeah. No, I would love to have the machines this year, but I, I, I would be... I I would hope that they do come out this year, I th- even though I think that it would be pretty unwise, just because, like you said, I feel like people's spending power is very, very limited now, and I feel like it's not going to be alleviated for for some time, uh, especially if this just continues on the way that it's going, uh, which it looks like it will. and. I really just think that next year would be a smarter time to put these things out in general.
2: Yeah, let people kind of recover. You know, let them not only physically recover if they've been sick or they've de- dealt with sick people, but also like economically recover because we're going to be in a, I mean, I don't think it's official yet because I don't think we've heard from the Fed, but we're in a recession. We're experiencing mass unemployment, stock market fluctuations, and all of this. And we could, depending on the situation in the market, it could enter a technical depression. So it just doesn't seem like the best time to be making a, what is really a frivolous piece of consumer electronics. It just, I don't know. I don't know why you would make your console, what, how you would expect people to pay for it and all of that. And, and even if we're out of the woods by the end of the year, which we very well maybe and hopefully are going to be, I think that everyone thinks that that's going to be the case, we're still going to be reeling and people are still going to be putting money back into the bank and trying to find work again and trying to find steadiness in their lives and i don't know that a video game console is going to be something that they're going to be interested in and i guess that could play into you know the other side of the coin which is if it's supply constrained maybe that's actually good because maybe there just won't be demand for the console and so there'll be enough for people who actually want it or can afford it but i just don't know why you would want to sell a console and not hit while the iron's hot you can't launch a console twice so, yeah, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But hopefully, uh, hopefully everything works out. Yeah.
1: Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I. Or download the app today.
2: Number two, the original Nier, which came to PlayStation 3 way back in 2010, is a cult classic RPG, but Nier didn't become so beloved until Nier Automata came to PS4 in 2017, where, across PlayStation and other platforms, it has since gone on to sell some 4.5 million copies. But now we're going to get 2010's original Nier title on PlayStation 4 too in the form of the bizarrely named Nier Replicant version 1.22474487139. That's the actual name of the game. Nier Replicant was the game's alternate title in Japan. Its release date or even release window is currently unknown, but as with the original, Square Enix will be publishing it. The developer is unknown, as Nier's original studio, the Japanese team Kavya, went under following Nier's release back in 2010. Nier is actually part of the so-called Drakengard action RPG series, though it's technically a spin-off of it. The original Guard came to PlayStation 2 in 2003, with Guard 2 following in 2005, also on PS2. Nier followed in 2010, with Drakengard 3 following in 2013 on PS3, the first game in the mythology not to be developed by Kavia, Access Games, the team most famously behind Deadly Premonition, and most recently ports of Final Fantasy VIII and the Mega Man Zero games that were ported recently, created that game. As we know, Platinum Games then took the reins with the beloved Nier Automata in 2017. So uh near i i played just a little bit of near when it came out in 2010 it was weird it's a weird game Uh, which is not a huge surprise i guess when you look at near uh automata which is even weirder but are you gonna check out this action rpg when it comes out we don't know a date yet or anything of this nature Uh, i don't know
4: near near always struck me as one of those kinds of titles that really i i get a strong sense that it wouldn't be my kind of experience I feel like that it probably won't be yeah, yeah. it just I, which is actually I mean I, I did like near Automata a little bit but I, I did also didn't really stick with it for that long I, I was totally content dropping it for any number of other things that were coming out at the time so probably gonna pass until it's unless it's maybe like a, if it's a PS Plus game
2: I'll obviously pick it up that'd be kind of cool maybe it will be yeah yeah, I don't know exactly when this is coming out or what the nature of it's going to be or the price, but it's cool that they're going back to it and re-releasing it. I think that makes a lot of sense considering how big Nier Automata was. I mean, Nier Automata has probably sold more copies than all the Guard games and the original Nier combined. Oh, so yeah. So without a doubt, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Kind of got to feel bad for Kavya just because... They went away, and then Platinum Games came and kind of made this series that was theirs into something big. That's probably difficult to watch. Yeah, oh far, yeah, but that'd be pretty embarrassing. Yeah, but it is what it is. I feel like I didn't play the original Dragon Guards. I don't think. I think I might have played the third one because it was like a really late. It was. It came out around the time that PS4 was coming out, as I recall. But it was a PS3 game. But it was one of those PS3 releases that had that had like the slick box, the slick new box art, like yeah. PS3 box art. But yeah, I don't know. When this is coming out, but I know a lot of people are excited about it. It was pretty big news on the social media. Can you imagine somebody just like you retire
4: and somebody takes Colin's last stand and then it explodes? Becomes like a billion dollar. It's like, gotta be like, oh my God, what the fuck is this? That's my name.
2: I mean, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at this point. (laughs) Be perfectly honest with you. All right, let's see here. Number three, Epic Games, the publisher and developer behind Unreal Engine, Fortnite and the Epic Games Store has officially announced three major game publishing collaborations that it will be undertaking in the near future, bringing the next games from three big studios to the world via Epic Games Publishing. Interestingly, one of these studios has a background of working with Sony exclusively, while another studio was assumed to be on the verge of doing so. The three teams in question are Playdead, Remedy, and Gen Design, the creators of Limbo and Inside, Control and Alan Wake, and The Last Guardian, respectively. In Epic's announcement, the company noted that these developers will retain the rights to their IP, 50-50 50-50 profit-sharing once costs are recouped, and the full funding necessary to get these games to market. And worry not, these games won't be locked to just Epic Game Store's PC marketplace. They'll also be coming to next-gen consoles, including PlayStation 5. Remedy is a Finnish studio founded in the mid-90s and is best known for its work on the early Max Payne games, as well as the aforementioned Alan Wake and Control, as well as Quantum Break and the upcoming Crossfire X. Playdead is a Danish team founded in 2006 with only two games under its belt, Though they were both massive successes, Limbo and Inside. Gen Design is the new studio from Fumito Ueda, the mastermind behind PlayStation exclusives from his old studio Team Eco, including Eco and Shadow of the Colossus. Gen Design worked with Sony owned Studio Japan to get the tortured Last Guardian out the door in 2016. Release timing of these studios' respective projects is currently unknown, as is the nature of their games. Adam O wrote into us and said, Hail the Twin Breakers. Epic Games have announced a publishing deal with Remedy, Play Dead, and Gen Design. The contract for these devs seems to be very dev friendly in both money and IP retention. With this news in mind, do you think this will disrupt second and third party deals with the major console makers and start to push them towards more first party studio acquisitions? Thanks and congratulations on completing a lifelong dream to you both. Thank you. He's talking about Twin Breaker, of course. Mm -hmm. This is pretty big news. I feel like this wasn't really talked deeply about in some places, but this seemed to be a massive piece of news to me. What do you make of this? They they basically retain the second party services of three pretty substantial developers over at Epic.
4: Yeah, no, that's a pretty huge deal. I feel like I've seen a lot of takes, too, on Twitter and like on the Internet in general of like, it, it seems to me that a lot of people who are maybe just people who just play video games saw this news and were kind of immediately up Epic's ass about it, and they were like, this seems, like, really bad, this seems really unfair, but, like, a- anybody who's ever made a game seems to be like, this is amazing. And I think the thing, that, the key thing is really the IP retention. That's not super common. <laughs> In fact, it's, like, super common that a publisher will steal the IP away from the dev. In fact, that, that it's a miracle that that happened with Destiny. Like, I'm so surprised, still, that Bungie managed to get away with keeping Destiny after the Activision deal. Um, but that's not, like, a common... Thing, so I think this is like genuinely uh, a force to be reckoned with for sure, and I think it's definitely going to be playing a key role in how a lot of choirers play their cards in the in the future.
2: Yeah, it's actually interesting with Play Dead in particular because famously, we learned later that Play Dead actually brought Limbo to Sony first. Mm-hmm. It's fa- that was famously an Xbox 360 arcade game that was really popular on the downloadable service, but. Sony was offered the game first and actually only would publish it if they were able to retain the Limbo IP, which is what scared them away. So that's kind of a a full circle thing for them. And obviously, Gen Design made through both Team Eco and and Ueda's work on The Last Guardian. They don't own those IPs. So, yeah, it does seem to be very dev friendly because they're going to put all the money up front to fund these games. The 50-50 profit sharing is actually a little surprising just because the pro- the profit sharing, I shouldn't say profit sharing, the, the gross revenue you make on something like the PlayStation Store is actually 70-30 in favor of the dev, which is actually better than this. But this is what they're basically saying is that once costs are recouped, so there's like a loan given to these developers to make their games. And then once that money is recouped in sales, then they start splitting the profits gross 50-50, which is... A nice trade off, actually, because you don't have to front any money. Mm -hmm. And in return for that, you get a little bit less of the money from your publishing deal. But unfortunately for them, it's going to be a 50-50 share of the profit after the 70-30 split with Sony or Microsoft or whatever. So it's a little more convoluted than than, uh, Epic was making it seem. But nonetheless, it seems like a great deal for these guys. I was, I think, most surprised about Playdead just because I feel like they were happy being kind of on their own and have made so much money. Maybe they're not as moneyed as we thought. Uh, Inside was not as big, obviously, as although I think it was a better game. Remedy seems to be working with everybody. I mean, they they worked with Microsoft and then they worked with 505 Games and they're working with the uh, what are they? Smilegate or whatever, the Crossfire guys. So Mm -hmm. they are now going to work with uh, Epic. And this kind of puts. I mean, I've been saying this for a long time, but everyone assumed that Remedy was being eyed by Sony, but I, I never thought that that made any sense. And this kind of destroys that and that whole idea. And then Gen Design, I think that Sony's happy not to be working with them again because you wait to fucked The Last Guardian up so badly that it'll be interesting to see how long it takes him to get whatever he's working on with Epic out. Yeah. But congratulations to these guys. Epic's making interesting moves. Really exciting to see and watch that, especially in the, the those aren't really triple A studios. Those are like double A studios that can make triple A games. They're not. um Yeah. They're not the mo- the biggest studios in the world. So this is a really cool place for them to be. I think this is a good place to kind of marinate and create your games and see what happens. Because we'll remind everyone that Control, while everyone liked Control, didn't sell extraordinarily well. And frankly, neither did The Last Guardian. So Mm -hmm. So we'll see what happens, but we'll keep an eye on that. No idea when those games are coming out. I wouldn't expect them anytime soon. Number four, the PlayStation brand has revealed that it's taking steps to help preserve Internet bandwidth by throttling connection speeds and quality on the PSN, something that other major Internet based bodies like Netflix and Amazon have also been doing a statement on the official PlayStation blog notes in part, quote, playing video games enables players all over the world to connect with friends and family and enjoy much needed entertainment during these uncertain times. Sony Interactive Entertainment is working with internet service providers to manage download traffic to help preserve access for the entire internet community. We believe it is important to do our part to address internet stability concerns as an unprecedented number of people are practicing social distancing and are becoming more reliant on internet access, end quote. Such throttling will apparently not affect online gameplay, and such a move is currently being conducted by Sony across North America and Europe. All right, so I want to get into a few ancillary things that people wrote in about this. Sure. Kind of in this realm. Matt Sloan wrote into us and said, Hi, Colin and Chris. With the current lockdown in the UK and elsewhere, do you think that Sony, Microsoft and Nintendo are missing a trick by not having a huge sale? Thanks for your efforts every week. Stay safe and stay home. I've actually been a little surprised by this. I don't know, though, if it is the wisest idea to be like, we're having a coronavirus sale. <laughs> and, you know, like, I don't know if you, I don't know how you like how you, you could position it as being like Please stay at home sale or something like there's a way to do it. But I think that they do risk the PR nightmare of looking like they're trying to capitalize on this pandemic. And so you're kind of damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. But what do you think? Do you think they're missing an opportunity? Yeah, I don't think it would be that if they did a stay at home sale. Like, I don't
4: think people would freak out about it. I think maybe like you'd have a couple of your expected Twitter accounts melting down about it but like beyond that I don't think you're gonna see like a major backlash just because you decided to put a sale on some of your games during a time when everybody's going to be home and especially when it's a time to it's especially a positive time to incentivize people to stay home I think people would honestly kind of look at that as like a good thing but I do think again this is all just so fast and so sudden that I do think you know I, I might be a novice here. I, I've never run a storefront, and I've never had to deal with setting up a sale or like negotiating uh, price cuts with, with, with publishers or anything like that. But like I, I feel like, I feel like this isn't something that they could just sort of throw out on a whim. I feel like these things are kind of planned, at least a little bit. So I wouldn't be surprised if you did see a stay-at-home sale sometime in the near future. Uh, Just because it's not happening now when everything is still sort of fresh uh, doesn't mean it's not something that would happen.
2: Yeah, I was hearing rumors that they might there might be a sale beginning in early April, but I don't know if that's true for sure. And like you said, there needs to be a lead in because you need to have (laughs) this is a whole trickle down thing again, because Sony, we're going to talk about this in a minute, has everyone working at home and and it's probably scattering a lot of resources and you can't just put games on sale without permission and you need all your connections and So you're right. It does take some preparation. And um, I do think a a worthy concern is worrying about if you look like you're trying to capitalize on things one way or the other. So I really do think it's a a damned if you do damned if you don't situation. But I would love to see a sale just because like a really big, robust sale It would be even really cooler, actually, in a way to maybe mitigate the problem is to say, like, we're going to give X amount of money to whatever. Oh, yeah. Like uh, a charity or something or something. Yeah. Now, last week, we also talked a lot about physical games. This was another controversial thing that we talked about that we got a lot of feedback about, some negative feedback. But Jake Blanchard wrote into us and said, hey, CNC, in defense of physical games, at this point in time, I much prefer to own physical game, uh, physical copies of games. Why? Well, yes, I do like having the case on my shelf, but the biggest reason I prefer is the ease of installation. I'm from Australia and our Internet is piss poor. The average download speed here would be about 15 Mbps down on a good day. A lot of households are still stuck on ADSL2 with spends less than 10 Mbps. With games this generation being so massive and only increasing in size, it can take a long time to download games. For example, Call of Duty Warzone was about 100 gigabytes if you don't have Modern Warfare installed. That meant it took over 48 hours to download. It took my friend three days. Games on disc have have the majority of the game installed and almost instantly, and I have only wait for patch downloads. This makes storage management a lot easier, as it's not going to take a day or three to uninstall one game and install another. I definitely understand the benefits of digital games, but the world isn't ready for digital only. At least Australia isn't. Well, Jack, we've said that uh, the middle of the United States, parts of the middle of the United States, the the Corn Belt or whatever is not ready for that either. But it doesn't stop the the reality that this is an inexorable march towards this reality. And uh, a lot of people, Chris, were mad at us just because they were like, well, we don't like people were saying, well, I buy the game for, you know, I buy Doom Eternal for 60 bucks. I play it. And then I go on eBay and sell it for 40. And I'm like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I I totally hear that. That's great. I just uh, I don't know. I don't exist in that ecosystem. I'd rather just be able to download stuff and and have it on my console. I'm just sick of physical games. But I understand that we do not speak for everyone. And I understand that a lot of people think we are detached from reality.
4: Yeah, I think I, I just remember a lot of times when I was a kid and I would sell my games, I would take my games to GameStop or I would put them on eBay and I would sell them and I would get some meager, some meager profit from it, and I look back at all the games that I sold now really regretfully, because I wish I still had that full collection of of titles uh, instead of the kind of gimped PlayStation 2 library and Xbox original library that I have now because I was so strapped for cash that I had to sell so many. So, like, just selling games in general just doesn't appeal to me I, I i very much like the idea that i can buy a game download it and just sort of maybe forget about it maybe play it for a little bit and then put it down and then remember it years later and i'm like oh yeah i forgot i have this maybe i'll maybe i'll play this and, and then that does contribute to the problem of like having just like an in, insane backlog but uh i don't know i i don't like the feeling of losing that kind of value like, it always, it always bothered me losing those games and looking back on all the all the shit that I got rid of just to buy
2: Destroy All Humans <laughs> for PS2. I had a very similar experience as a kid. I, I sold, first of all, I sold my whole SNES game collection in 1997 to get PS1 for Final Fantasy VII, which was a fucking massive mistake. And um, I had to go back and buy all those games as I was getting older that I wanted back. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I, I understand the whole resale thing, but I like buying a game and then having it as well. I, I know that the whole technical thing is, uh, you know, you don't own it, you're retaining the license, whatever the case might be, but I don't really see it that way.
4: That still happens personally. with disc, by the way. Like, you you will have, there is a pretty good chance that you have the disc of Spyro, or Spyro is the main example just because it's it's such an obvious one, where Spyro doesn't even have the majority of the game installed. It has about a third of the game installed. So you're still going to install like two thirds of a whole game. It's going to take you just as long. It's, it's probably obviously not going to take you as long because part of it is on the disc, but I, I don't know. I, I feel like eventually we will all be digitally buying our games in the same way that we all now digitally stream our music. I still buy albums and I still buy like vinyls and stuff like that. Whenever I'm in the mood to go find them and buy them, but the purchasing of an album or the purchasing of a of a of a CD is really just sort of extraneous and kind of supplementary because i know that i could just get that music for free if i just streamed it on spotify or if i paid like spotify f- for spotify uh, spotify premium and i could just get that music whenever it's really just a show of support but yeah i don't know i i think i think we're just marching towards digital and i think eventually it'll be just kind of unavoidable granted i think internet service providers need to get some serious shit right now (laughs) i feel like uh they are the most concerning business to me in the united states because they operate in such a very weird like turf oriented way yeah where they all they all seem to intentionally avoid each other yeah and it's like well this isn't really competition at this point this is uh, this is a bit There might be something to look to look into there. But yeah, as soon as we all get like fiber optics and shit, we're all we're all going to be downloading our shit.
2: Yeah. um, And 5G, I think, will help with that, too. Um, Yeah, we'll see how it all goes down. But yeah, you're right in the sense that the turf warfare thing we have in the United States and people can go look this up. I mean, there are maps of Time Warner and Comcast or whatever, and they basically all just avoid each other to create these like these geographic monopolies and don't compete with each other intentionally. And it sucks, but I don't know. I think it's I think it is nice. I mean, back to the original story, it is nice that. I don't know if they're being if they're their arms being twisted behind the scenes at all, but it's nice that these companies are. Kind of backing off a little bit and being like, all right, like, let's because I I actually before I even started reading this stuff, like last week, I noticed when I was watching Vikings on Amazon, I'm like, this doesn't seem like it's like 1080p. Yeah. Seems like it's like nine hundred or p or something like it doesn't. The resolution's a little weird, and it was my connection's great, so it was them just throttling it to kind of keep the sanctity of the internet going for everyone. And I think that that's a nice gesture, but it's also a little nerve wracking that we're that we're that on the borderline with not having the bandwidth we need for essential whatever. I don't know. I, I just didn't expect that that was going to be a problem, but yeah, it's pretty wild. What it is. All right, Chris. Number five, it looks like PlayStation Plus's free game offerings for April have leaked, according to website Push Square, which caught an accidentally published video from Sony sanctioned YouTube channel PlayStation Access, all but indicating that the leak is real. The games that are set to be free as of April 7th, according to the leak, are Uncharted 4 Thief's End and Dirt Rally 2.0. Uncharted 4 launched exclusively for PlayStation 4 back in 2016 and was critically acclaimed and a commercial smash hit. While Dirt Rally 2.0 came to PS4 more recently in February of 2019, where it also found critical success. Uh, Sony has yet to confirm these games are the free offerings as of the time of recording. However, I'm sure they're going to do that in between episodes. But that seems to be pretty uh, locked down because PlayStation Access is, I think, even owned by Sony and run by Sony. So what do you think of these free games? We got ourselves a first party action adventure game and a racing game.
4: Yeah, no, I mean, not big on dirt rally, but it'd be nice to have uncharted four. I, I had uncharted four on disk, but I lost it, and I have no idea where it is.
2: So well, there you so go. It'll be a good opportunity to just get that in the library. Perfect. So people going to look forward to that, of course. we'll we'll confirm next episode I imagine that these are real, and of course, you'll want to download them and add them to your list. Number six, Sony has lost yet another key longtime executive, according to website MCV this time in the form of 25-year veteran Michael Denny. Michael Denny worked out of the UK, where he was most recently the senior vice president of Sony's fully-owned European studios, ranging from Media Molecule to Guerrilla Games to Sony London. Denny is leaving his longtime post at PlayStation for British studio TT Games, the parent of Traveler's Tales, the studio behind virtually all of the Lego games over the last 15 years. TT Games has multiple internal teams, a publishing arm, and more opportunity for licensed and original properties, which Denny apparently intends to pursue. It has been a staggering 13 years since Traveler's Tales has released a game that isn't Lego branded. And although it's been a complete cash cow, particularly in light of its longtime collaboration with publisher WB, there's obviously more money to be made. So I've always found Michael Denny to be a pretty funny cat. Like, I don't think he intended to be funny, but he had like a really he had like a really weird British inflection that I thought was was funny. I don't know. Cray America 86 wrote into us and said, Hey, CNC. Push <laughs> Square is, is reporting uh, Michael Denny is going to TT Games and they are excited to go in a new direction. Where do you see the LEGO studios going? He was part of Guerrilla Games going from Killzone to Horizon Zero Dawn. Do you think Mr. Denny will bring that magic a second time? It's funny because TT Games, no one even really talks about them anymore because they just make the LEGO games. That's pretty much all they do. And they're quality games and they sell really well. People like them. What what would you want to see out of these guys? I'm not even sure I know, Chris, what yeah. they're capable of.
4: It's I mean, it's been so long since they've made anything that's not Lego, it'd be hard to imagine what they would what they would consider going to. My my assumption is that they're really good at making platforming beat em ups. So maybe they'll they'd go in that direction. It's 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 very strange because I feel like they used to I feel like the, there were a lot of Traveler's Tales games that I used to play I, I think they made this toy story kart racer back in like 2001 for the ps1 that i really really liked yeah they did yeah and then they made i i'm pretty sure they made some of the crash games after
2: uh after naughty dog left they made a bug's life which was like an yeah.
4: awesome ps1 game like for yeah no and a bug's life
2: was published by sony it's actually a first or a, that was a second party game which is interesting yeah.
4: yeah and it's like it that's kind of awesome but i really doubt that you know, the talent that was around back then is probably still around now. So obviously you're probably going to be getting a vastly different team of people working on uh, under the same company. It's, it's, it's hard to imagine what they would do if not something maybe WB oriented. Maybe it's
2: it's really hard to pin what they would do after after all these Lego games. Yeah, they made a lot of weird stuff. Um, They started making Lego games in 2005 with the Star Wars Lego games, but they were still making other stuff at this time. A lot of it's licensed. So I think like, for instance, they actually made alongside uh, Sonic Team, they made the uh, Saturn game Sonic R and the Sonic, uh, which was the um, the racing game. And they made Sonic 3D Blast. Mm -hmm. Like you said, they did some Toy Story games and ancillary Buzz Lightyear games, Muppet games. They've basically made Bionicle. So they've basically just been Transformers. So they basically just have been doing licensed games. And I think that that's where their big opportunity rests. Yeah. But yeah, since 2007, they 2007 was the last time they made a game that was not a Lego game. And that was when they made the Lucas Arts or I'm sorry, Activision published rather a Transformers game, which I remember actually people really liking. It was supposed to be like a I think that's the Transformers game I'm thinking of, the one that was pretty true. Oh no, this is the one based on the video game, um, on the movie rather. There was another Transformers game at this time that was like a, basically based on the old cartoon that people really liked. But anyway, they've since then one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. They've made 17 consecutive Lego games.
4: That is insane. So. And they also made The Weakest Link. Game a show, show. <laughs> i i did you like that show i loved that I show. i did but like it's weird it's weird seeing it again because that's such a dated show that's that's a show that's like oh that's 2000 you know what i mean oh yeah like that is so strictly a 2000 show in the same way that american idol is such a mid-2000s
2: television phenomenon yeah the uh yeah it was um yeah the weakest link and I don't know. I just I loved how I loved she was like real bitchy. People have never seen it. Robinson was the woman's name that was the host of it. And uh, she's like this really prim and proper, I guess, like British woman. Yeah,
4: (laughs) you are the weakest link. Goodbye. Yeah, (laughs) it's just like, no, it's such
2: a calloused soul behind those words. It's good stuff. That was a that was a blast in time, though. Yeah, it it, it reminds me a lot of um, who wants to be a millionaire just in the sense of Like, I remember when Who Wants to Be a Millionaire came out. Yeah, yeah. Like, 99, 2000, the summer. I haven't thought about this show for years, and I just got got sent reeling back in time. It's good stuff. Rege Regis. (laughs) Is that your final answer?
0: You can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around.
2: All right. Number seven. Here's another interesting one. You may know Avalanche Studios as the team behind the Just Cause franchise, as well as 2015's Mad Max and 2019's Rage 2, amongst other titles. But now they will officially be known as Avalanche Studios Group, and there will be three teams working within that ecosystem, all on separate games. The original Avalanche Studios is the core team, the guys behind Just Cause, Rage 2, and Mad Max. The second team, called Expansive Worlds, are the guys behind the hunting games called The Hunter, released in 2009 with a sequel called Call of the Wild launched back in 2017. And finally, Systemic Reaction is the team behind 2019's bizarre and pretty bad FPS Generation Zero, with another open-world game currently in development. All three teams remain owned by Danish film studio Nordisk, and it's unclear which publishers they'll be working with moving forward. Avalanche self-published the Hunter games as well as Generation Zero, while Square Enix acted as publisher for the last two Just Cause games. Warner Brothers published Mad Max, and Bethesda published Rage 2. So a little bit of a restructure over there at Avalanche.
4: They're owned by a film studio? That's so weird.
2: Yeah, I think that it was that was a recent thing too. I don't think that that was true until 2018 or so. Mhm. But yeah, they uh the Avalanche Studios group is now a thing. Yeah, as of 2018 they're owned by Nordisk. So um before that, I think that they were privately held. Really weird. And yeah, they're doubling down on that team. Even that made Generation Zero. I mean, Generation Zero is bad. It's a bad game. <laughs> so it's not great. No, I, I would like to like it. I bought it the like the moment it came out because it looked so cool. But I should. I mean, I should, I think I remember talking about it on the show. It's like one of those things where I'm like, I should have known better. I've been in this industry for a long time. No one was talking about this game, and then it just suddenly appeared. And they they weren't even previewing it, or previewing it, previewing it or anything like that. But it's it ain't good. I'll yeah. tell you, it ain't good. All right. Next up, number eight, a couple of PlayStation related comic book series are en route, both in support of popular first party franchises. For starters, Titan Comics is working with Sony owned Studio Guerrilla Games on a comic book adaptation of Horizon Zero Dawn, the popular 2017 PlayStation 4 open world RPG that will soon also be coming to PC. And Tool, who helped write Horizon at Gorilla, is working on the series for Titan Comics. And the first issue is due out on July 22nd this summer. The other reveal is for a God of War comic book series, as revealed by ComicBook.com, which will be created by Sony-owned Santa uh, Santa Monica Studio, alongside Dark Horse Comics. This particular series is actually set as a prequel to 2018's God of War reboot, occurring between that game and God of War 3, which launched back on PS3 in 2010. It will be called God of War Fallen God, and will apparently explain the series' segue from Greek mythology to Norse mythology. The first issue of this run will launch on June 24th, both God of War and Horizon are heavily anticipated to have sequels on PlayStation 5, so these comics could be primers for that. Is this interesting to you at all? I'm not a comic book fan, personally.
4: Yeah, it's it's cool. I like that these things exist, but uh, I don't particularly read comic books. I never really got into them. There's something about the way you have to read them just sort of always mixed me up. I, I can never tell like what panels came after what, because some of them are like structured really weird. Some of them aren't necessarily structured, like, uh, sequentially in the way that you would imagine. Some of them overlap other panels, and I'm just like, ah, I, I, yeah, I, I'll I'll wait for somebody to make a video explaining what this comic is. Because <laughs> I like yeah. comic book characters, and I like comic book stories, but I typically just, like, I, I have, like, uh, a bunch of YouTube channels that I listen to that will, like, kind of explain, or, like, run through the comic, and, uh... I tend to digest stuff that way, regardless of how, 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 how much heresy that displays.
2: Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. I, I just don't like the medium of comic books. It's just not for me. Yeah. Uh, but, it, but it is cool that they're able to explore the stories that these games kind of portray. And I know a lot of people are into comics, so I wanted to throw that news in there. Yeah. One of my favorite, one of my favorite comic books of all time is the comic
4: book adaptation of the Spider-Man 2 film where everybody looks like their actors, except Tobey Maguire, who they just clearly just didn't want to draw.
2: Or <laughs> they couldn't get permission, maybe, or something like that. Maybe. But it's, it's, it's really jarring. Number nine. As coronavirus rages around the world, Sony has opted to do what many other companies either cannot or will not, take care of its employees. Waypoint's Patrick Klepik tweeted that, according to an internal PlayStation circulated memo. All PlayStation employees in North America and Europe will be working remotely from the safety of their own homes until at least the end of April. And will be paid in full and keep the entirety of their benefits throughout this time. Klepik notes that this goes for both workers directly employed by Sony itself, as well as Sony-owned studios like Naughty Dog, Sucker Punch, Insomniac, and others. This is great news not only for the thousands of people employed by the PlayStation brand, but their families as well, who won't have to worry about this this about the slate of at least temporary unemployment that has hit millions working at both small and large companies alike. This is the good news about working for a mega corporation if they're willing to take good care of you, is that work can be done and we said this last week i I do think that just remote working generally is going to become a bigger thing moving forward oh yeah no without a doubt it's um it just makes sense and it's so much like
4: the cost is so drastically reduced that it just you know it seems like it would just be a reasonable move for a lot of studios maybe maybe not ideal for studios that do a lot of mocap and and, and stuff like that but like i I don't know most most devs probably really should be working from home or working remotely or not really be investing in
2: office spaces because i i I personally feel like it's just a huge waste oh i agree completely I, i have no interest in i love that we all work remotely first of all it's great because it doesn't affect our business at all like yeah that's the one upside, I guess, to this is that from an operational standpoint for our audience, they're not going to notice any difference from us with the coronavirus, except for just deeper depression, <laughs> because we don't work together in, in, a, in a group, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so it's good. And, you know, it, I know that a lot of companies simply can't operate a lot of companies like that, but a lot of companies I think can be operated like that and I think will be operated like that. I think that there's no reason not to to do that. Yeah. It's just a shame that not everyone can do that right oh, now. Oh, yeah, for sure. There is something to be said about having a place to
4: go to work. I do think that's probably a little bit healthier than working from home. But I don't
2: know. During a pandemic, I, I feel like the obvious this is an obvious healthier choice. No, I, I agree. I haven't gotten to an office per se since 2014 when I worked at IGN. Still, we mm-hmm. did have an office at well, we ran kind of funny out of my apartment until like mid 2016. And then we had an office. But that's kind of when I started to hate it you know, working, <laughs> working there, I kind of started to enjoy my year and a half of just working from home. And so then I kind of got what I wanted with Collins last stand. So yeah, I think it's all situational. It is certainly healthy to like get up, have a routine, go to work and all of that. I think that that's probably been not having that. has probably been bad for my my state of mind, but there are a lot of upsides to it as well. Yeah. So all right. Uh, number 10. Coronavirus is also having some predictable negative effects on the production of soon-to-be-released games from Japanese publishers Capcom and Square Enix. Capcom's UK branch has noted that Resident Evil 3 Remake, which is set to launch on April 3rd, will still be available via digital storefronts like PlayStation Store, but that delivery of physical games will likely be delayed in part or in full. Meanwhile, Square Enix's Final Fantasy VII Remake, coming out the following week on April 10th, will likely also experience physical delays, though the publisher can't be certain. Interestingly, these delays appear to have nothing to do with manufacturing, but rather shipping, since many countries have limited or altogether closed off delivery of non-essential goods during this outbreak. Quote: This does not mean that boxed copies of Final Fantasy VII Remake will not be dispatched. It just means that we cannot control the date the game may arrive. And quote: Square Enix's statement reads in part: "If you pre-ordered from Square Enix's online store, however, you should be fine in getting your game on time. And again, PSN digital copies will be naturally unaffected." Uh, since I wrote this, actually, a little bit of news has broken about this, Chris. Uh, Square Enix actually has opted in Europe and I think Australia and New Zealand and other territories to ship the game early. Um, So people might be getting the game before the street date, a rare coup for people that are physical owners who usually get it a little bit late. So there you go. And the game, by the way, is already broken street date. People have it. So um, be careful out there for spoilers if you guys care about that sort of thing. But uh, yeah, Resident Evil 3 and Final Fantasy 7 Remake are the two most imminent AAA releases, and they will be affected physically in some way. Number 11, coronavirus is ruining the global economy, including the rental and home ownership markets. But if you're a Final Fantasy 14 player, you'll be immune from succumbing to such fate in game. Word comes by way of the game's official website, which notes that because of coronavirus, so called automatic housing demolition in Final Fantasy 14 will cease for the time being. As of the time you're hearing this episode until an unknown date in time, housing demolition in-game, which happens if you own a house or land and don't sign in for 30 consecutive days, will be put on hold. Publisher Squash developer Square Enix notes that it will continue to monitor the situation and will re-engage auto-demolition when it makes sense. Such a system was put into the game to keep the world's prime real estate in the hands of active players, but with the real world getting turned upside down, this is one of the few feel-good stories coming out of this pandemic from the gaming universe. I thought this, that was an interesting story. I was reading it on their official website. For yeah, the game.
4: that's really weird. I feel like I was like peering into a different dimension when you were reading this. So I was like, what? There's a
2: Final Fantasy game where you have to where they can destroy your house. Yeah, apparently the real estate in the game is limited and you like have to kind of wait for it and then buy it and then compete for it in some way. And so to stop people from just squatting on it, they demolish your like land in your house and I guess give it to someone else or make it available if you don't sign in for 30 days. And because of what's going on with uh, coronavirus, I guess they've just stopped doing that entirely. So, yeah, I don't know much about the game, but I did want to include that yeah. interesting economic story uh, for audiences out there that do play the game. Weird one. Number 12. Those rumors you've been hearing about the return of Silent Hill were, as we originally told you, not at all true. Word comes by way of horror-dedicated website Rely on Horror. Konami, the Silent Hill IP owner and publisher, told the website the following, quote, We're aware of all the rumors and reports, but can confirm that they are not true. I know it's not the answer your fans may want to hear. It's not to say we are completely closing the door on the franchise, just not in the way it is being reported, end quote. The original rumors were wild and clearly false, noting that Konami was rebooting Silent Hill, remastering other games in the series, and possibly even selling the IP to Sony alongside Castlevania. Silent Hill has been largely dormant for nearly a decade. The last new game, Silent Hill Downpour, came to PS3 and elsewhere back in 2012, alongside Book of Memories, a Vita-exclusive game created by retro dev WayForward. Silent Hill was set to have uh, life breathed into it with Silent Hills, which was propagated by so-called, the so-called PT demo on PlayStation 4, arguably the most famous game demo ever launched. Once Hideo Kojima left Konami under duress following the launch of Metal Gear Solid 5 in 2015, however, the project was scrapped. And both Kojima's core collaborators, uh, Norman Reedus and Benicio del Toro, found their way over to Death Stranding, which, as we know, came to PS4 last fall. Benicio del Toro? I'm sorry. No, I didn't. Now, who am I? Who am I Gu- oh, Guillermo here? del Toro. Guillermo del Toro. Yeah. Why did I put? Who's Benicio, de Toro, de Benicio del, del Toro? Benicio del Toro is that guy uh, from uh, Rogue. Oh, oh wait, yes. Wait, wait, yes, that, No, no. From episode eight. Episode. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. He, I'm sorry. Guillermo del Toro. Guillermo. Guillermo. <laughs> How do you say that? You're Hispanic. Guillermo yeah there you go i'm yeah. not gonna be able to do that thanks nice catch yeah benicio del Toro has nothing to do with death stranding <laughs> or silent hills as far as i know yeah or video games probably or video games yeah at all probably uh yeah konami it, i mean this was such a weird rumor i didn't even want to include this but i just felt like i needed to
4: so, yeah i mean know. it was a big rumor that everybody was kind of talking about i, I thought it was pretty clear like the second it, it's not even that it seemed so unbelievable to me but it seemed unbelievable to me that they would sell castlevania currently Like that, that makes no sense to me at all because it's doing so
2: well. Chris, number 13, way back in 1999, a random late gen Nintendo 64 game launched alongside the much anticipated Star Wars Episode One. It was called Star Wars Episode One Racer, and it also came to PC and later on Dreamcast with a low end port also coming to Game Boy Color. The single and multiplayer racing game was actually well received, but it was considered dormant and largely lost to history. That is until now. The official Star Wars website has announced that Star Wars Episode One Racer is being ported to PlayStation 4, as well as Switch, with all 25 playable characters in eight worlds intact. There won't be online multiplayer, but there will be split screen. No release date has been revealed, and it's unclear who is working on the port, though Episode One Racer did see a re-release on PC in 2018, and even a limited run N64 physical port just late last year. That was a, this is a weird piece of news. I don't know why they're re-releasing this game, but it's coming.
4: Yeah, uh, that's, we don't know that was when. a weird one. Is there some kind of agreement where, like, there needs to be a Star Wars game every year or something?
2: This is weird. I don't know, but, I mean, they just re-released Jedi Academy, like, last week. Yeah. And before that, it wasn't Dark Forces, but they released something late last year. And then the Super Star Wars games came out on PS4 and Vita. At least Super Star Wars, the, like, the original one did. I don't know if Super Empire and Super Jedi followed. But, yeah, it it is... Strange. Like there uh, there is a pretty robust back catalog of games. They just seem to be avoiding like the biggest ones on console. Like people want Rogue Squadron. They want X Wing versus TIE Fighter. You know, shit like that. Yeah. So. I personally I want Star Wars Masters of Terrace Kasai. Yeah, you do. The fighting game from PS1. Horrible. <laughs> yeah, terrible. The a horrible game. Just a horrible game. It's one of the worst games I've ever played, actually. I want Yo- I want Yoda stories. That's what I want. <laughs> <laughs> I bought that game and I was so excited for it. It came so boring after like because you know, it's just like a randomly generated. I totally forgot about that game. Yeah, it was it kept me entertained for like a weekend. Played it on PC. All right. Number 14. There haven't been any meaningful PlayStation 3 releases in several years, but the console has been quietly trucking along in PlayStation 4's Shadow. But according to website Push Square, it's about to lose some key functionality that may just signal the end of active PlayStation Network support for the console. On PlayStation's Japanese website, Sony notes that beginning on June 30th, PlayStation 3 will lose its ability to both send and receive messages to PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Vita, meaning that you can't get contact or receive contact from anyone outside of fellow PS3 users. Communications between PlayStation 3 units will remain unhindered for the time being, and PlayStation 4 and PlayStation Vita will still be able to communicate with each other on the messaging system. PlayStation 3 launched way back in the fall of 2006 and sold some 83 million units before production was discontinued in 2017. FIFA 19, which was launched in September of 2018, was the last new game to come to PS3. So it's kind of sad. There's that. Yeah. They're slowly turning uh, all the switches off, all the knobs and whatnot. And then finally, Chris, a wrap up number 15. The official PlayStation blog has revealed that Copybara's once Xbox One exclusive game below is finally set to come to PlayStation 4 very soon on April 7th. That strategy game Convoy, a tactical roguelike, comes to PS4 on April 8th and that action-adventure game No Straight Roads is coming to PS4 on June 30th. Publisher Bethesda has revealed that Doom Eternal has doubled the launch revenue of 2016's beloved Doom, indicating that id Software has a commercial hit on its hands. Developer Team Kill Media has revealed its horror FPS quantum error, which is slated to come to both PlayStation 4 and PlayStation 5 at an unknown point in the future. Leaked trophies on Exophase and PSN profiles indicate that 3DS and Switch-exclusive 2D action games Gunman Clive and Gunman Clive 2 are coming to PlayStation 4, in the form of the Gunman Clive HD collection. Beautiful Metroidvania action game Shantae and the Seven Sirens will be coming to PS4 and elsewhere in May of 2020, according to developer WayForward, who already released the game on Apple Arcade. Last week, we discussed that Call of Duty Modern Warfare 2 is likely to be remastered and launched on PS4 this year, according to a Korean Games rating board leak, and further reliable Reddit leaks seem to indicate that's true. And by the way, the trophies have already leaked on PSN profiles. This, uh, this launch is imminent. Is apparently happening this week. So by the time you hear this, it might already be out. It's just the campaign, Mm -hmm. by the way. No multiplayer. Platinum Games has revealed that it's recently kickstarted PS4 port of We Use the Wonderful 101 will launch soon on May 19th. And finally, popular free to play multiplayer shooter Warframe, which first came to PS4 back during the console's launch in November of 2013, has officially been confirmed for PlayStation 5 by digital or by uh, developer Digital Extremes. That is all for the news, Chris. Chris, as tradition dictates, it's time to go through the new game releases, and you will go first. righty, we've got another shump coming up here. Battle Rockets
4: comes to PS Vita. Battle Rockets is a unique shmup fighter designed exclusively for the PS Vita. In Battle Rockets, uh, I always want to say, I, I, I'm wanting to say Bottle Rockets, which I know that they're yeah. trying to do, but it's, it's messing me. It's messing me up. Each player chooses a side, literally, Play as one of eight console tan fighters and battle your friends or foes or complete strangers. Are you head to heady?
2: Ugh. Ah. No. Ugh. Curious Expedition comes to PS4. Curious Expedition is a roguelike expedition simulator set in the late 19th century. Take the role of famous historical personalities and venture forth on expeditions to unexplored regions on a quest for fame, science, and of course, fortune. Don your pith helmet and khakis. I don't know what that means. And make your way through a lush, procedurally generated world full of wonder and mystery. Okay. Final Assault
4: comes to PSVR. Final Assault is an action-packed, World War II-themed RTS built from the ground up to capitalize on the power of VR. Tower over the battlefield as war rages around you in 360 degrees. This new approach to classic RTS gaming utilizes compelling and immersive gameplay that can only exist in VR. Fight the battle, win the war.
2: Good Goliath comes to PSVR. Good Goliath is an arcade action style game where the player is a giant battling hordes of little foes with wave based tower defense gameplay where players are the tower, catch, dodge and throw pitchforks, barrels and even tiny enemies. It's a weird sentence. Battle armies, mini bosses and colossal monsters in vibrant worlds right out of a storybook featuring medieval pirate and hell world fight witches, sharks, demons and the king of the underworld himself.
4: Okay. Hyper Parasite comes to PS4, a roguelike Twin stick shooter brawler that never plays the same twice. i having a hard time imagining that. Collect and control 60 different characters as the body-snatching alien parasite with a grudge against humanity. Fight to the top of the food chain, possess the president, push the big red button, and one-up the human race. That sounds kind of neat. I like that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it does. Immortal Legacy The Jade Cipher comes to PS4. Delve deep into the origins of a sinister Chinese legend and unearth the secrets of an island's forgotten past in this pulse-pounding adventure. Explore a nightmarish island shrouded in mystery. Survive against enemies using an array of weapons, crack intricate puzzles, and uncover the disturbing truth. Operancia
4: The Stolen Sun comes to PS4. Operancia The Stolen Sun embraces everything you love about classic first person dungeon crawlers, enhancing the old school turn based RPG experience with modern sensibilities. Gather your team of memorable characters and guide them
2: through a world inspired by Central European mythology, where history meets legend. Overpass comes to PS4. Take control of big name buggies and quads to negotiate scree slopes, steep inclines and various obstacles of extreme on extreme off road and technically challenging tracks. Find the best route and manage your acceleration, differentials and drivetrain to dominate in local or online competitions. Mm. Persona 5
4: Royal comes to PS4. Wear the mask, reveal your truth, prepare for an all new RPG experience in Persona 5 Royal based in the universe of Persona. Don the mask of Joker and join the phantom thieves of hearts. Break free from the chains of modern society and stage grand heists to infiltrate the minds of the corrupt and make
2: them change their ways. Random heroes comes to PS4 and (laughs) Vita. Stop an alien invasion by teaming up with a bunch of random heroes. The earth is being invaded by terrifying aliens. It's up to you and a bunch of random heroes to save the day and stop the invasion. Shoot and jump your way through over 108 levels to stop the alien menace and bring peace to the planet. Will you be able to survive? <laughs> Re- uh, Resident Evil 3 comes to PS4.
4: Jill Valentine is one of the last remaining people in Raccoon City to witness the atrocities Umbrella performed. To stop her, Umbrella unleashes their ultimate secret weapon, Nemesis. Also includes Resident Evil Resistance, a new one-versus-four online multiplayer game set in the Resident Evil universe where four survivors face off against a sinister mastermind. Snaky
2: Bus comes to PS4. Snaky Bus is an absurd arcade driving game and frantic score chasing experience where the biggest danger is yourself. Wind through city streets, pick up as many passengers as you can and deliver them to their destination to increase your score and the length of your bus. Totally reliable delivery service comes to PS4. Buckle up your back brace
4: and fire up the delivery truck. It's time to deliver. Join up to three of your friends and haphazardly get the job done in an interactive sandbox world. Delivery attempted. That's a totally reliable delivery service guarantee.
2: I like that. Me too. The Casebook of Arcady Smith comes to PS4, an open world investigation game set in a futuristic city. Take on the world of Arcady Smith, the famous investigator. Explore the vast city, search for hidden clues, solve fiendish puzzles, and speak to elusive suspects. Can you uncover the mystery of each crime? The Complex comes to PS4. The Complex
4: is an interactive sci-fi thriller movie from the publishers of Late Shift and The Bunker. After a major bioweapon attack on London, two scientists find themselves in locked down in a lockdown laboratory with time and air running out. Your actions and your relationship with other other characters will lead you uh, to one of eight suspenseful endings.
2: Damn. All right. Eight endings. And finally, War Room comes to Vita. Experience a 10 minute dive into the unknown depths of the multiverse. War Room is an interactive art experience born in the minds of two holographic entities, Michael Rivsher and Serge Bulat. It is designed to reveal things about ourselves and measure our imagination. All right. Okay. Uh, some big ones in there. Obviously Resident Evil 3 remake pers- yeah, is pers- coming. Persona 5. Yep. And Persona 5. Resident Evil 3 remake is, not, is, is reviewing well but not that well. It seems like it's not nearly as beloved as Resident Evil 2 remake, but I don't know if it's because people just don't like Resident Evil 3 as much as Resident Evil 2 or the Uncharted 2 Un- Uncharted 3 fiasco, where if you release them in the opposite order, they would have been received better.
3: Mm,
4: I think.
2: But I don't know. I, I haven't played it. So based on what I remember, I feel like Resident Evil
4: 2 is definitely probably just a more focused game. It de- it's definitely less uh, not I'm not globe trotty exactly, but.
2: It's a little bit more contained. Yeah, I remember. Well, fair enough. Chris, tradition dictates that we end every episode of Sacred Symbols with swick, uh, six more questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas from the audience. We'll start with Joseph Marzola. You mm-hmm. said, hey, CNC, do you think over the next decade we'll see a huge boost in virus and outbreak narratives in games due to COVID-19 surely bringing mass cultural change once it runs its course? Obviously, we've had viruses that lead to endless zombie or zombie like storylines, but I wonder if the undead threat will fall by the wayside now that humanity has experienced quasi-apocalyptic fear on a day-to-day basis simply from their fellow humans. Love to know your thoughts and keep up the amazing work. It's much appreciated. Thank you, Joseph. What do you think, Chris? You think we're going to see a lot more of these uh, narratives that are telling the story now or inspired by what's happening to us nah. here in this world? Nah, not
4: in games. I feel, like, I feel like maybe you'll see like a show in like 10 years about, ooh, COVID. Ooh, you remember that? Remember that dark time? But like, I, I, don't, I don't think... Who the hell wants to escape? You know, from a pandemic in a game about the pandemic. You know, I I don't imagine that that's uh, really gonna happen. I don't even know. I don't even really know how you would make a game like that interesting that isn't just solely narrative. You know what I mean? Like, I I feel like maybe uh, a Detroit Become Human style game could work. But do uh, you want an action shooter in a world where like?
2: You could cough on people and they would slowly die like, eh. yeah, but to Joseph's credit, he's I don't think he's saying specifically about COVID-19, but just virus and outbreak narratives generally. Oh, well, we've seen we we still get that a lot. Yeah. And that's what he's saying. You say, obviously, we've had this. I mean, The Last of Us Part Two is uh, seems timely in this yeah. regard. I feel like I feel like genuinely you're going to see probably less of it. I hope so. I because that's like such the obvious instinct is to tell our story right now or to like be inspired by event. I mean, that's the way art is made. I know that, but that would be so overwrought and so lame um, to have something like that happen. So my hope is that it's uh, not the case. Yeah. But I guess we'll, uh, we'll find out um, in the coming years. I think it's more likely, yeah, we get TV shows or movies and stuff like that. Plus it's funny. There are already books and movies and stuff that kind of deal with this sort of thing outside of games, obviously the stand by Stephen King is all about a flu like illness that wipes out most of humanity. Yeah. And I, I've been meaning to watch it for years, but I never did. Maybe I will. Is that that TNT show, the last ship is about this kind of thing happening too, where I think 80% of the world is wiped out by um, some sort of bug. Yeah. And even so. in
4: games, like we have uh, obviously Resident Evil three, it's a pretty huge, huge one. But even just uh, as far as, more realistic and more grounded
2: approaches. Uh, The division is like based on pretty much what's happening now anyway. Chris, Kale Ng wrote into us and said, Hi, CMCM. Now that you've tasted game development, have you thought about the publishers and producers side? If you were to license Sacred Symbols out to another team, who would who would it be and what would they make? Thanks. I don't know. I don't know that I want to make more Sacred Symbols games outside of Twin Breaker. I want to make other games. We're going to make other games. But yeah, I don't think it's going to use the Sacred Symbols name or our likenesses or anything like that. I just wanted to do that for our, ourselves and our audience that one time, and we'll wrap it up in a sequel. But is there anything that you would want to see, Chris? Anyone working on our on our IP? Any sort of specific kind of game? We should get uh, Traveler's Tales to, uh, <laughs> to make his <laughs> Sacred Symbols
4: game. To make a Lego sec- yeah. Lego Sacred Symbols? <laughs> Lego, Yeah, Lego, Lego
2: Twinbreaker. It's just the same thing, but with Legos. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what, what we would get... Uh, another developer or publisher to do. First of all, I'm, we're going to keep working with Lily and I'm super excited about that. And we're, we're going to get more projects out the door with them, but I don't know exactly what that would entail or look like because who would have known that we would have been able to make a, like a brick breaking game and yeah. tie it into our show somehow. So I think anything is possible, but, but I will say I've, I've been thinking a lot more about the publishers and the producers side just from being on the receiving end of criticism. And I talked about that on sacred symbols plus, that I've still not really worked my way through most of the reviews or most of the Let's Plays because I just can't yeah. do it right now. I just can't. <laughs> Jace Tomulovich wrote into us and said, Hey guys, how much does self expression mean in games? Colin, I've heard you say that if a game doesn't make you use a feature or type of attack in the context of Arkham Asylum and Spider Man, that it shouldn't be in the game. I'm a big fan of spectacle action games and love the creativity players show when they build their combos. You may not need every tool to beat the game, but creating a ballet of blows certainly looks cool. It's an interesting question. I do. I am a firm believer that I get confused when there are things in games that the game doesn't make you use. Like there should be some sort of carrot at the end of the stick to use them. Otherwise, why is it there at all? Right. How do you feel about this in terms of self-expression through gameplay? Do you think that you're a big fan of Spider-Man especially? So. Do you think that that's important through combos and attacks and whatnot?
4: I think it is important, but I also think there are ways where you can have a robust set of tools that you can use to, or that you can deliver to let the player express themselves that also serve a specific purpose in-game. I think actually Doom Eternal is a really good example of this, where there's a lot of stuff in Doom Eternal that you can do. There's like a a shoulder-mounted ice bomb, there is... Uh, a blood punch there is a grappling hook on your shotgun there uh, there are like double dashes and different runes uh that will modify like how you play the game it'll give you like more control when you're in the air or it'll slow down time ta- slow down time when you aim or give you a boost of speed whenever you do a glory kill and like it's stuff like that that i like stuff like anything that allows you to kind of like tweak your build in a way that allows you to play the game in a way that expresses yourself but doesn't leave all of these other tools on the, on the cutting room floor for you to just kind of ignore. You can be very, very expressive in the way that you fight in Doom Eternal, even though that game really makes you play it a certain way. I haven't seen many people use the grappling hook in the way that I use it. Like, I, I use it to literally, like, swing around. But a lot of people just use it to pull themselves towards, towards uh, some of the bigger demons and just, like, burrow a shotgun shell in their heads. But yeah, player expression is super important, but I don't think you I, I don't think. I think it's possible to have that without having a bunch of useless tools.
2: Yeah, I think so, too. I don't my problem with Arkham Asylum, as we were talking about it on knockback with my brother, was. It really is just a button mashy game with a random rare exception. They give you all these tools and all these other things, but you don't really need to do any of it. And so I was I was really confused why I would be there at all. But I think that. Jace makes a good point that it it could be there for expressive purposes because I played the game on hard and still was just, you know, smashing the square button mostly and occasionally jumping or using the circle button or whatever to use my cape if I needed to disarm a knife wielding enemy or whatever. But I just I don't know. I I I think less is more in a lot of different ways. Like, Mm -hmm. I, um, I would agree. Yeah. So I don't know. It's a good. It's a good point, and yeah, player expression in that regard is is interesting because we do often think about player expression in terms of agency and narrative, like Mass Effect, for instance. Yeah, with its branching storyline or whatever. There's a lot
4: of player expression too in in mobility in in a game like Spider-Man too. The way the way people will swing in that game, like, is very very expressive. Like some people like clearly have a a thing for speed, so they'll you can tell because, like, they'll swing for a little bit and they won't even wait until they're up to the highest part of the swing. They'll just, like, jump off and immediately start another line because it keeps momentum a lot more steady and forward, forward moving instead of the kind of, like, down-up, down-up uh, momentum that the game kind of teaches you is the normal way to swing. And uh, Spider-Man, I love Spider-Man because it's one of those games that I, I, I actually can just kind of pop up and just sort of swing around for a little bit and feel like I'm just sort of doing
2: doing cool shit without actually doing anything. It's fun. It's good. Christian Chimera wrote into us, said, hey, C-Fam. I remember hearing rumors about a discless Xbox and was wondering what the chances are that PlayStation 5 will also get one. I personally wouldn't mind to see one because it would be cool to keep the cost of the console down. And I definitely don't need a third damn Blu-ray player. Keep washing those filthy hands and please don't go too crazy on us. I don't, is this Xbox rumor confirmed? I I have heard this rumor, but they didn't confirm that there was going to be a discless. Xbox Series X, right? No, they did come out with the uh, the Xbox One sad edition,
4: which is literally I think if, if it's like all digital edition. Xbox One S all digital edition with, <laughs> which is like Xbox One sad. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I I don't know if there's there was a rumor. Uh, we don't really know much about it as, as currently. I would imagine that if that was going to happen, um, they'd probably showcase it a little bit later probably closer to launch probably around E3 or when E3 was supposed to be. I don't think you're going to see a PS5 without a disc, at at least not the first run. I feel like maybe when they have their, you know, mid-generation kind of refresh, whenever you get the PS5 Pro, maybe then you'll have like a SKU that is a little bit more, is a little bit cheaper or maybe just doesn't have a disc drive and in place has maybe an extra SSD. Or an extra hard drive to allow for more space. But yeah, I don't know if those rumors are confirmed
2: about the Series uh, X just yet. I don't feel like I i don't hate this idea. I mean, it would be fine to release that. I just don't know how much that would really reduce the cost. I don't know how much the I don't know enough about tech to even know how much the disk drive is cost in terms of um, the overall component structure of a, of a console.
4: It, yeah, if you were rounding it down, like the last time I did research on it, and I, I could be misremembering this, but I remember it was about like 43 to 50 bucks. It was like some, something around that. So you could knock the price maybe You could knock the price maybe
2: maybe 50 bucks. Um, yeah, it doesn't seem to be worth it. Yeah, it doesn't seem like really that that big of a deal. Yeah. And I mean, I guess you would also not have to license Blu-ray anymore, but Sony own Sony's part of the conglomerate that owns the Sony or the Blu-ray license. So that's probably not a factor for them. That's probably a bigger factor for Microsoft. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, I would like to see that, but I, I think the best path to survival for PlayStation is just having one skew of, of the console. I, I don't think yeah. the multiple skew thing didn't work for them with PS3 until they, they streamlined that. They didn't even bother doing that with PS4 until PS4 Pro came out which is really a different console. And obviously PS2 and PS1 d- didn't have really any internal anything. So there was not, no excuse to make. They were just different versions of the console. So I do think that it would be wise to just iterate on the console by having the version two and version three and version four that slowly reduces the price and cost and component load of these consoles. But I don't know that it's wise to start splitting people off and stuff. And like, what if you have this digital only console and then PSN is down and you have no options. I mean, that's kind of your problem at that point, but that's still not going to stop people from complaining and it opens up this whole can of worms. And I just don't I don't like that idea. I don't like that idea at all. Yeah. It feels like you might as well just have the the disk drive. You know what would be cooler is having a console that is stopped that is that has no disk drive, and then having like remember the HD DVD add-on for Xbox 360? Having a thing where like you can go and spend more money to buy a disc drive if you want it. In other words, doing it in the opposite direction. Well, yeah, I think would be a pretty interesting idea.
4: Yeah, but the, didn't they already do that and it didn't work? With
2: what? Well, well, with that HD DVD drive. Yeah, but that's different because I mean the HD DVD drive just didn't work because that format failed.
4: Right, but uh, but even like even before that format failed, like I remember being like I remember I thought HD DVD was going to be the next thing, and and even then like I was like I'm not gonna get this fucking I'm not gonna get this ugly ass, like small weird box to dangle to the side of my console just so I could play discs in a in a generation where I just I barely play discs anyway. I guess that maybe would be more of a thing for people in like Midwest or like Australia, people who like rely on discs. But I I think you're better off just having the disc drive in the machine. Bottom bottom line, it's less conv- convoluted. People are used to it. People expect it.
2: Just just. Just keep the thing in there. Yeah, I think you're probably right. All things considered. Girthquake wrote in, said, hey, CM twinsies right now. Sony seems like they are already in a PR battle due to their GDC focused brief. This was the first real bit of information about the PS5 being made directly to the public. That was obviously not made for the public. So my question is this. They need to counterpunch because their messaging is already down and it's only going to be easier to be pulled down further. What can they do to fix it? In my simpleton opinion, I think they need to do a massive hyped blowout of the PS5 and do it immediately. So this initial brief becomes a distant memory and not something for people to stew on for weeks or months. Show off the box, controller, launch games, future games and price just to change the conversation and then take the next few months to uh, correct confusion and address questions. What say you gents stay safe? I think in a normal time, Chris, girthquake would be right. I think that Sony should do a massive blowout, and I think that was probably the intent Mm -hmm. at some point, I don't think you want to do that now, not only because of the uncertainty surrounding if this console is really going to come out and they might not even know what it's going to cost again, just to repeat, the component pricing is in flux. They're not even able to get components. Everyone's competing for them. The factories are all fucked up now. There's all sorts of things that would stop them from having this conversation. But above and beyond that, I think it goes back to the optics we were talking about earlier, where having any sort of conversation about frivolous electronic devices right now i just i just feel like that's a bad idea i think it would be i think the only benefit that would have is like for the shareholders of sony and maybe like a distraction for us yeah but it, it's it would sound hollow and stupid to have in my opinion i mean maybe i'm wrong but in my opinion right now to have like a bonanza for playstation 5 you know in the middle of april or something i'd be like are you serious like, <laughs> You know, like we're all like fucking locked into this quarantine. I don't give a shit about this right now. Like it, this isn't going to make me any happier. I don't know. I do you agree with Do you agree with that? It might distract you, and
4: might be something to keep you. Uh, oh, there's something to look forward to. I, I could see it being like a positive thing for people to see, like some kind of blowout for the for a new machine. I do, though. I th- I think you're ultimately right that this is a weird time to do it. Not necessarily because of the pandemic, but just because the nature of the release of this machine is uncertain and whether or not they can even get it out this year is uncertain i feel like that's a bigger thing to keep in mind than just the pandemic because if it was just something that was going on that was like universally depressing and everybody was sad about i feel like this would be actually like a great opportunity to just be like hey you know what here we are sony to save you with some with some cool shit that you can Look forward to, and you can get excited about it, and feel a glimpse of distraction and and just like a a shimmering of hope and excitement during a very otherwise bleak time. But if if you're just gonna pull a Last of Us and show off a release date and then like <laughs> delay it <laughs> just a week later, which is like possible, I I, I don't I don't know. It, it just feels like maybe holding off for now. I I would agree that they should have just they should have just did did what. Earthquake is saying for the GDC talk, like th- that video should have been, "Hey, here's the machine, here's the controller, here's what we what we're what you can expect on it," or or, or some level of marketing for the machine in, in a way that was actually tangible and not so nebulous and and inside baseball. But now I feel like it's a bit late, and it would come across even more like damage control if they did it so soon after the GDC talk.
2: Yeah, I think everything's up in the air. I think you're probably right, though, that if you manage to get a few pieces of information out that didn't revolve around pricing and release date, which are both probably still unknown quantities for them internally, even if they say otherwise, that, yeah, maybe it could be like, yeah, here's the console, here's the the controller, and here are some of the first party and second party games working on as a distraction. But I just... um. I don't know. I don't think it's a good idea right now. I don't I don't know that we're going to see much more about PS5 for a while. And that might actually be, to their credit, why they did do the GDC talk to at least have something to say instead, you know, while they wait for everything to kind of recoup, recoup. But yeah, Microsoft just Microsoft just kind of hit into some good timing for the Series X, just in the sense of they got it all out there before they had to worry about this stuff. So even if they're quiet now, which they aren't necessarily, but even if they decide to be quiet, then Um, It doesn't look weird. Yeah. Zach, E has the final question. He says, hey, CNC, Chris, why do you have such vigorous dislike towards Call of Duty? I completely (laughs) respect the fact that you prefer more of the FPS gameplay that's found in Doom or Halo, but the whole negativity towards the Call of Duty brand is weird. And of course, it's not just you. Many people like to hate on Call of Duty. I must say, I used to be in on the COD hate a few years back, but I've gone back and played the games I stubbornly missed from 2013 to 2017. And I have to say each and every one of them is incredibly impressive and enjoyable. I just think it's weird that certain aspects of gaming culture frowns upon Call of Duty or at least look down on their annual release strategy. I gladly pay $60 each year to get the high quality, high polished experiences that Call of Duty offers on a consistent basis. Mm -hmm. Chris, what do you think? What do you think about that? It's actually interesting. This is super fresh in my mind because my
4: roommate and I, Sweeney, were actually just talking about this this morning. It was the first conversation I had. Uh, He walked into me into my room and talked about. He was on Twitter arguing that Call of Duty is terrible. And I was actually kind of defending it. Where, like, I'm not at all a fan of Call of Duty's gunplay or movement or mechanics or narratives or multiplayer suite or really any of it. But it really just does come down to personal tastes. I prefer to play an FPS that feels a bit more like a fighting game. Like, I don't like walking into a room... And then knowing that the main reason that I'm probably going to die is because an enemy sees me first and not necessarily because they're actually better at navigating combat. I I like shooters that feel like a fight more than I saw you, now you're dead. Maybe next time you'll see me and then I'll be dead. And it it just kind of like, it feels like the difference between laser tag and Mortal Kombat where games like Destiny and Doom and Halo and a lot of arena shooters really are about kind of whittling down an opponent's health. And I just prefer that kind of meta and that approach to enemy design because I feel like it's a lot more engaging when you have a chance to lose the fight that you start. More often, it feels more rewarding when you win. And that's something that Call of Duty just never really uh, delivered to me. And I I think, honestly, a lot of the hate comes from just the oversaturation of it uh I, the fact that there is a modern warfare 2 remastered that is coming out re- like super soon just after a modern warfare reboot of an annualized franchise is just like it's a lot like it's a lot to take in it's a lot to absorb and it's getting to the point where like i wouldn't be surprised to see a call of duty modern warfare remastered remastered like i I don't that doesn't even seem implausible to me, and that's kind of the reason why people look down it's It's like the the fast and furious. It's like this is fun schlock, and you can watch it and enjoy it. but honestly, I feel like there's a lot of substance that's lacking both in the approach to uh map design with the three lane maps and 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 the approach to uh encounter design. As far as multiplayer goes, I just think it's just a less engaging franchise to me, but I would never hate on it in the way that I would say that it's, these are objectively bad games or like, fuck anybody who plays them. They just don't, they don't, they don't really embody any of the things that I really adore about first person
2: shooters. Right. Yeah. Understood. I completely understand what you're saying. And the beauty is, is that we have, as you mentioned, Doom and Destiny and whatever. Yeah, there's no shortage. There's no shortage of options, which is great. Right. That's exactly right. For a little while there,
4: uh, especially back in the day, where I think the hate was probably the most intense, it really was just Call of Duty. Like you didn't really have real contenders outside of that. You had like what, like Medal of Honor? Like people were yeah, going Battlefield, play Battlefield. Metal- like it the- was. It was just Call of Duty and Battlefield. And if you were on Xbox, you had Halo. And if you were on playstation you had resistance but that's not really a lot now it, it feels like there's more of a there's more of a resurgence even even games like even games like rage which aren't really particularly great games at all like were when i played them they were satisfying to play as far as like the shooting went as far as the shooting and the combat encounters were concerned I hated a lot about that game, specifically like the open world aspects of it that I just think ruined. I feel like if that game was just the, the encounters, it would have been pretty cool, but there's just a lot more variety, especially Borderlands now, and um, there's just a lot now, so it's not, as in, it's not as enraging to see another annual Call of Duty come out as it used to be,
2: so I've definitely calmed down as far as <laughs> Call of Duty hate goes. Fair enough. Well, thank you, Zach, for your inquiry. And thank you, everyone, for supporting us and submitting your questions, comments, concerns, thoughts and ideas on Patreon, patreon.com slash where you can get early ad free access to the show, the ability to submit those questions, access to Sacred Symbols Plus, our weekly supplemental podcast only available to patrons, etc. Chris, that's all we have for this week. All right. Um, so it's time to wrap it up. Well, well. All right. Well, I appreciate your time, Chris. I hope you stay safe yeah. over there. Well, uh, I'll do my best. Yes, and everyone out there, stay safe, be well. Thank you again for your love, your kindness, and your support. We'll talk to you next time. Goodbye. Take care, guys. Sacred Symbols, a PlayStation podcast, is a product of and a registered trademark of Colin's Last Stand LLC and is recorded from Richmond, Virginia and Burbank, California, USA. This show is conceived by, is written by, and is produced by me, Colin Moriarty. My co-host is Chris Reagan. You can find me on Twitter at NoTaxation and on Instagram at cls Moriarty. Chris is on Twitter at ChrisRGun and on Instagram at Chris underscore Ray underscore Gun. Sacred Symbols is edited by Dustin Furman. To message the show online, please use Patreon's DM service. As you know, all of Colin's Last Stand shows, including Sacred Symbols, are fan-funded on Patreon at patreon.com slash Stand. The following names are at the producer level or higher on Patreon, and we are eternally grateful for your kindness, generosity, and fandom. Chris Adams, Carlos Algarit, Morgan Ashley, Saul Balcazar, Taylor Barkley, Martin Beck, Tyler Bellow, Mark Boggio, Barrett Boswell, Spencer Brand, Lennon Brixey, Josh Bushing, Austin Bullock, Dylan Burns, Chris Buston, Alex Cabrera, Bjorn Campbell, Patrick Carper, William O'Carroll, Brian Chand, Sean Chandler, David. David Chestnut, Carter Childs, Rodney Coleman, Simon Conception, Brad Cooley, John Cordero, Gio Corsi, Philip Crone, Daniel Diamore, Colin Davenport, Night Draft, David Ellis, Jerome Ferreira, Joe Finelli, Eric Finkenbeiner, Jordan Gale, Chris Galvin, Darren Gardner, Connor Gashian, Alex Gates, Michael Gates, Tyler Goodwin, Josh Gravelick, Miranda Grubba, Jonathan H., Eric Harden, Tyler Harris, Richard Hebert III, Kyle Hagel, Wyatt Henry, Robbie Hensley, Scott Hernandez, Blake Israel, Azan Issa Al-Ricey, Josh Yeager, Joshua Johnson, Paul Joyce, Greg Julefs, and... K, Patrick Kelly, Jeremy Key, Antti Kinnanen, James Kinslow III, Ryan R. Kittredge, Bo Clant, Mason Cadillac, Jackson Lastiqua, Don Q. Lee, Jeffrey Leonard, Patrick Leslie, Keith A. Lewis, Chad Lewis, Lou and Ray Loper, Colin Love, Scott Lovelace, Josh M., Kiet Mai, Ryan T. Mandel, Daniel Margaca, Ross Maranka, Matt Martin, Sean Mason, John McCarthy, Josh McKinney, Joe McPartlin Raul Melendez, Alex Mones, Chris Moore, Betty Ann Moriarty, Ryan Murdoch, Stephen Nieder, Adam Nix, Donnie Nolan, Dan Nolan, George A. Nunez, Jesse Owen, Jorge Palomino, Andrew Parker, Zach Parsley, Daniel Parsons, Todd Paxton, Marius S. Peterson, Gerald Pennington, Matthew Perdue, Enrique Perez, Jason Pettit, Travis Plimel, Jeff Pollard, Lawrence F. Prokop, Nathan R., Ryan Reeves, Peter Reynolds, Shane Rayum, Jonathan Rice, Petro Rose, A.G. Rowe, Jose Salinas, John Schultz, Michael Shanholtz, Toby Schutman, Gregory Slavinsky, Joshua Smallwood, Ahmad Tamar, Ben Thompson, Carl Tolman, Alan Trembley, Daniel Vale, Michael Vecchio, Oakley Waldron, Justin Wagaman, Isaac Wastman, Damon Weathers, Mike Wayant, David Wright, Corey Wyatt, Tony Zaniga, Casual Misfits Gaming, Homeworld Hub, Vexius, Throw7, McDog 18 Infinite, Boots, Organic Produce, Mad Mock Media, Bloody Fang, Mubarak, Richter86, Hugo's Desk, Of Fortuna, Andrew, Ian, Gamer Filmaholic, Megadet, and Reynik.
3: Angie has made it easier than ever to connect with skilled professionals to get all your jobs projects done well. I absolutely love this because you know if you own a home, it can be really hard to maintain. It's hard to find